0: Welcome to Macaulay's podcast, Stories from the Ridge. We're excited to feature Macaulay alumni, faculty, and friends as they tell their stories about their careers, experiences, and of course, how their time on the Ridge has impacted those. We'll have something for everyone as we discuss a variety of topics, all celebrating the special brotherhood of Macaulay with an emphasis on honor, truth, and duty. Now on to our episode. Today you'll hear from Macaulay senior, Patrick Warren, and faculty member Jim Saddeth as they discuss Jim's time playing basketball at Duke University. You'll hear about his time playing in the Final Four and playing on Coach K's first team at Duke. Hope that you enjoy today's story from the Ridge.
1: All right, my name is Patrick Warren. I am a senior day student here at Macaulay. I've been here since sixth grade, a very special place. Um, I'm very involved with the sports broadcasting program here, uh, commentating games, soccer, baseball, lacrosse, football, basketball. Uh, And so I'm really excited to be here with coach Jim Suddeth. He is the Hardwick Caldwell Chair of Christian Ethics here at Macaulay. And so it's that time of year. March Madness is coming up. I'm so excited, got some great games. Uh, And Duke has been one of those teams this year that's always been in the conversation uh, with some elite freshmen, R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson. And Coach Suddath, you went to Duke.
2: I did. I had the joy of playing basketball at Duke for four years from 1978 to 1981.
1: And so what was the recruitment process like to go to such an elite school as Duke?
2: Well, I I went to high school at Woodward Academy on the south side of Atlanta, and uh, because of my abilities, the way I was coached and all, and being in the Atlanta market, I got a lot of publicity. I was ranked the number two player in the state of Georgia my senior year in in high school, and uh, so I got a lot of offers. I was offered scholarships from all but two SEC schools and all but two ACC schools, so um, I, I, thankfully I had the, an option to, to to go where I kind of wanted to go and when I looked at everything Duke was at the top of the pile
1: and what made it what kind of separated it from the rest of their schools
2: well I made my choice based on the fact I, I did want to get out of Atlanta but I didn't want to go across the country uh, number two was an ACC school and, and that's the basketball league and I that attracted me greatly uh, also the coaching staff was very solid my parents loved the idea of a Duke education because it was very prestigious, as it is now it was then. And then finally, from a basketball perspective, the Duke program looked like it was on the, the peak of really breaking out of the middle pack and doing great things. They'd had two ACC Rookies of the Year in a row, and Jimmy Spinarkle and Mike Jeminski in 76 and 77, and they had just signed, right before my commitment, the number one player in high school, ranked across the country, a guy named Gene Banks, and he was ranked just ahead of a guy named Magic Johnson. So you can imagine <laughs> how heard good of them, he was, yeah. right? Uh, so you could kind of tell the Duke program was about to re- ready to explode, and in fact, it did. And tell me about that
1: first freshman season. How how did that go?
2: Well, it was amazing. Um, there were three of us that came in as as freshmen. Gene Banks, who I already mentioned, Kenny Denard, who was a six eight. Power forward from uh, North Carolina. myself, I was a, kind of a skinny wing shooting pure shooter uh, uh, forward myself. Uh, we were a very young team. We started one junior, two sophomores, and two freshmen. And I was most of the time the first guy off the bench as a freshman. So you can imagine we were very young for those days. Right. And that year we got on a great streak. At the end of the year, we won the ACC tournament, got the automatic bid to the NCAA tournament we were peaking at just the right time had a hot streak we're killing everybody beating everybody by double digits or more and carried that all the way to the final four and uh, played in the final four my freshman year 1978 it was Arkansas Notre Dame us and Kentucky uh, we beat Notre Dame in the semifinal game uh, got a chance you know here I am a, a freshman got a chance to play scored two points as a First forward backup, six-man player. And then we played in the finals against Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky was a fabulous team that year. They were ranked number one a good part of the year. They had a point guard named um, – well, they had Rick Roby and, and, um, uh, and Phillips, the two big guys, 6'11 guys. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, Kyle Macy was the point guard. He was very famous, great ball handler. And then they had a, a guy in the middle named Goose Gibbons, not, not the big plate, but he would float the middle on both sides. And we stopped the big guys, and we stopped the point guard, but we didn't stop Goose. And I think he had 42 <laughs> points on wow. us. Had one of those career games in the finals on national TV on Monday night, and we, we lost the game by six points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a freshman uh, on a team that came up mostly out of nowhere, going all the way to the finals, it was amazing. It was, amazing. Uh, it was a, just a memory of my life.
1: And how did the uh, coaching staff manage you guys? I'm sure there's a lot of excitement when you're winning game after game, and you can kind of get maybe big headed uh, at that point. How did they manage you guys and keep you guys humble?
2: It's very difficult because when you're in that, even in the late 70s, when you're in that streak, you're on TV every game. You have these great commentators who were talking to you before and after the game. Um, fans are everywhere. I remember one interesting thing we we left the final four we were playing in st louis after we got beat by kentucky we were already ranked at that moment because everybody was so young on our team we were already ranked the number one team for the next year Mm. and we were preseason consensus number one team in the country the next year and when i got back to cameron indoor stadium there were five shoe companies that had already overnight shipped shoes to every player (laughs) for the next year and so things like that would happen you uh in north carolina i couldn't go anywhere in a restaurant or anything without being recognized and the coaches have tried to keep us uh level-headed but you can imagine um how sort of prideful it can make a young athlete feel when you're just recognized everywhere mike jaminski and i were walking down the mall of uh in charlotte the next year before a game we were just kind of killing time before a night game we had a hundred kids falling following us down the middle wow. of the mall, things like that. Um uh it was a crazy time. And ACC basketball's always been like it is now. It's 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 king of the league. I know Clemson won the football championship right, this year, but right. uh, the the league is wild for basketball. Definitely. And
1: I mean these days there's everyone's talking about the one and done rule and what they should do with uh players like Zion Williamson who obviously are gonna be worth hundreds of millions of dollars one day. Was that an issue back When
2: you were playing? Uh, In the late 70s, early 80s, you had the very initial uh, times when a player out of high school would jump and go directly to the NBA. Uh, I remember a guy named Willoughby that did that. And it was an oddity because most of the time, a player would sign at college, play all four years, and come out as a senior with a great career and go to the NBA. So it was a real oddity when a, when a super athlete might try to make the NBA um, Daryl Dawkins or a couple of the old names that did that. But no, you didn't have the one-and-dones back then. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't a rule about it. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It wasn't even imaginable back then. Um, it, and really, you didn't start that until in the 80s when occasionally a player might leave after their junior year. And that was rare. But then when you got in the 90s, then the snowball started to roll down the hill.
1: And do you okay. have a personal opinion on uh, what that rule should look like these days? Is there anything you think about that?
2: Uh, yes, I do. At this stage of the game, after watching this develop, or particularly the last 20 years, and where the college game is today, and I'm a little bit old school, and I'm very pro getting a college education because mm-hmm. you're, you know, if you live to be 70, 80 years old, you, you need a career for life. Uh, Not everybody's gonna be a Hall of Fame NBA player. Uh, I would really appreciate if they got rid of the one and done rule and allowed just those very few high school superstars to go straight to the NBA. But if you did go to college, you were making at least a two year commitment. And that would guarantee that the student athlete would have to go to classes, would have to start a major degree program And then if they went on to the NBA, they could still come back and and reasonably finish a college degree. Interesting, interesting.
1: And so tell me about your uh, sophomore and junior years playing at Duke. What what did those look like? Uh,
2: Well, we, as I said before, we started my sophomore year consensus number one in the country. Uh, I still have a plaque I, I have from being ranked actually the number one amateur basketball team in the world. Um, beating the Soviet Olympic team back in those days when all the Olympic teams were amateurs. And we were ranked number one because we had almost won the NCAA with a junior, two sophomores, two freshmen, and a freshman off the bench. Um, And so my sophomore year, we went about a third of the way through the season undefeated. Everybody was watching us. We had the game of the week every week on television. And then we went to Madison Square Garden and got beat twice. Mm back-to-back overnights and one of us goes one of our players uh, punched the guy in the face and got ejected from a game and, and uh, the new york crowd didn't like that very much <laughs> uh it was a kind of a bad rebound situation uh so and that hurt us and then at the end of the year when we really were on a run again we had two major injuries right at the time the ncaa tournament was starting and that hurt us tremendously and we got out of the tournament a little early and For you basketball folks out there, that was the Magic Johnson-Larry Bird year. The famous 1979 finals between Bird and Magic. And that was supposed to be Duke playing somebody Mm -hmm. in the finals. So my junior year, we regrouped. uh, We were injury-free. We went through the tournament. We went to the ACC tournament and won it again. And uh, we got deep in the NCAA tournament, beat Kentucky in the Sweet 16 at Rupp Arena and went to the grade eight game or the elite eight game and got tripped up by Purdue and just missed going back to the final four mm. my junior year. But we were ranked number one for a third of the year that year. And then we had a coaching change. Right. Uh, at the end of my junior year, the coach I'd been with for three years, Bill Foster, was offered a great the great position at the University of South Carolina at that time to follow Frank McGuire, a very famous basketball coach. And he he left and um, myself and the other two uh, guys that I came in as a freshman with, we were heading into our senior year not knowing who was gonna coach us. And uh, the history of basketball has changed at that moment. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I was, I was called into Tom Butter's office to meet the new coach and we were introduced to him really before the seniors were we were introduced to the new coach um, and no one knew how to spell his name or where he came <laughs> from and and we we just called him coach K for my senior year and uh, obviously that's Mike Sheshewsky.
1: right and the name stuck coach yeah, K
2: very much so very much so Because I still, to this day, have no idea how to spell his name. (laughs) And probably 95% of all the players that played for him don't know how to spell it. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. it's a
1: pretty tough name. And so, yeah, what was it like to play for Coach K? Tell some stories about your experiences with
2: him. Uh, Coach K, that year with Coach K was was a great year, not so much in the win-loss record. We did have a winning season. I think we went something like 17 or 18 and 14 or 13, something like that. We had lost our big All-American center to graduation the year before, Mike Jeminsky, and he went to the NBA. So we played my whole senior year without a true center. And the three-point line was not in, so the dynamics of basketball really pushed for a great big man. Mm -hmm. Um, And we played without that great big man. And uh, there are four things that I remember greatly about that year. Number one, Coach K came in with a very aggressive – Pressure man-to-man defensive strategy, and we did not play one second of zone defense my entire senior year. Wow! And that was a great, a a very drastic change from the three years before. The second and third things are kind of personal to Coach K. Um, He never lied to us for one year. In all of the conversations, all of the coaching, all of the the ways he worked with the team, he was a very honest fellow. And I really appreciate that because that's not always the case when coaches are dealing with players. Um, And I really appreciate the honesty. Number the third thing is that he had a very visible love for his wife and his children. His, His daughters were very small at that time. And in a role model sense, he was 33, I was 21. I watched him love his wife and and respect her and and model that in front of us and I really appreciate it. I needed that I wanted that in a coach a lot of coaches in that very difficult arena are you're just sold to their job and their family is very far second place but it, it wasn't with him and then finally the the fourth thing was very personal to me um, when, when, at the end of my junior year, before the season was out, I was getting a rebound at the University of Maryland and I and I pivoted, it was at Maryland, and I pivoted to make an outlet pass. It was a defensive rebound and something in my left knee sort of popped. And what it eventually was diagnosed was I had torn my cartilage in that defensive moment. Uh, it swelled a little bit. They'd let me finish the season because it, after a little bit of rehab it deswelled, swelled and I actually played well through the NCAA tournament but at the end of the season they decided to go ahead and repair it with an operation so I was immediately put in the Duke hospital and it was operated on and I walked out of the Duke hospital on crutches and it was on that day that Tom Butters the athletic director called me and the other two seniors and said come to my office i want you to meet your new coach before he's announced wow so i walk into tom butter's office in um the um the near the end of my semester at, in 1980 and i meet coach k and i'm standing there on crutches so that's the first time he met me i was on crutches so i go to washington dc that summer to do an internship with the department of commerce and i'd done all this rehab and i was ready to get back on my knee and play and get ready for my senior season. And near the end of that summer, something happened in that left knee again and I knew something wasn't right. So they called me back to Duke a couple of weeks early before school started. They put me back in Duke Hospital and I was operated on again just four months later. And uh, when I woke up from the surgery late that afternoon, that evening, the door opened and in walked Coach K. So the second time I meet the man i'm lying in a hospital room mm-hmm. and then they rehab me for six seven weeks they didn't let me do any lateral motion i'm in the swimming pool running i'm doing weight workout i'm trying to re-strengthen all those left leg muscles again to get ready and they said they were going to release me to to um, lateral motion on october 15th the first official day of practice So here we are, Cameron Indoor Stadium, Coach K is walking out on the court for the very first time he's ever gonna officially lead a Duke team. There are 8,000 people in the stands watching the first practice and they release me and my leg locks up on me eight times and I literally fall on the floor while I'm out practicing. So they put me back in the hospital that night and do this new arthroscopic surgery, not cut me open, but it was brand. It was a brand new concept back then in 1980, and they found a little floater piece of cartilage that they'd missed in the second surgery that was wiggling around there, locking my knee up. They extracted that. I had three more weeks of rehab from that, so I missed the first couple of games of the season. So I'm, I said all that to say this: the first time Coach K saw me, I was on crutches. The second time he saw me, I was lying in a hospital bed. The third time he officially, in a sense, was with me, I was falling down in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Now, the way I look at it is this: I am six foot six. I'm sort of skinny. I'm a half step slow. I'm a senior on the team, and I had that kind of a introduction to Coach K. In a lot of ways, a coach might just throw a player like that away, disregard them, write them off, realize they're not going to be productive coach k did not do that he did not throw me away he let me rehab get back on the team get back into my six-man status i regained that position i was productive my senior year and we had an injury at the end of the year and i ended up even starting the last four or five games and to this day it is an emotional thing to think about the fact that he he honored My scholarship, he honored my position on the team. He treated me with the utmost respect, and he let me get back to where I was before. And it's for that I have the highest regard for Coach K.
1: Yeah, seriously, it's such a great story. Um, And is that one of the aspects you think has allowed him to be such a great coach throughout the years? I mean, obviously, he's one of the best coaches of all time in college basketball.
2: Yes, I think he's a you know he's a straight shooter. He's honest. He tells it like it is. He cares for his players beyond just winning games. And and, and that motivates a young person, or it motivates an NBA Olympian, because he's right. been the Olympic coach twice. Um, and I remember near the end of my senior year, um, I didn't know what I was going to do when I left Duke. And I my high school back in atlanta woodward academy called me and said hey do you want to be the head basketball coach at woodward the coach that coached me is retiring and we'd like to offer you the job i didn't interview for it i was 22 years old and they were hiring me simply because i was a duke basketball player mm-hmm. and i went into coach k's office and he sat down with me for a long time to analyze my life and to weigh the options that i had and he encouraged me to give it a shot and I still remember that conversation and the mentoring that went on at that moment.
1: Wow, yeah. And so like, what other special relationships did you have with other players on the team? Uh,
2: yes, uh, of course it's been 40 years since I graduated or, or or at least, well it's actually been 41 years since I went to the Final Four mm-hmm. and almost 40 years since I graduated. And that group of guys that went to the Final Four um, and players on either side of that. We have an email loop where we email all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, when Bill Foster, the coach that I played for for three years, passed away a couple of years ago, I, his widow actually called me and asked me to, to be the pastor in charge of the memorial service for him. And all the players came back and we wow. had a wonderful reunion. Mm-hmm. We had a, a great reunion at Duke for the 25th year anniversary of our final four team. And we meet up with each other at games from time to time and fellowship that way and, and touch base. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I text with one of one of those other two guys that I came into Duke with, Kenny Denard, who lives in Texas. We text during basketball games. Uh-huh. So there's a real camaraderie. You know, the, the, the Duke basketball program has the Brotherhood label. You know, when you're on the team, you're part of the Brotherhood no matter what when you played. Right. Every year, Duke sends me a shirt and it says the brotherhood on it so it keeps me connected to the program i call duke up i can get two tickets to a game in cameron maybe not the carolina game right right but (laughs) uh i can get two tickets to a game as long as i'm sitting in one of the seats so they do a very good job to keep the brotherhood connected Yeah, that is really
1: special. That is really special. I guess you have to be the president of the United States to get a ticket to the UNC Duke game.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Actually, a lot of people don't know this, but the guy who was sitting next to him uh, at the game, if if that's your picture in your mind for what happened when he was at the UNC game, is a guy named Reggie Love. And Mm -hmm. Reggie Love played on the Duke basketball team in the 90s and became one of President Obama's – chief aides all the way through his presidency so uh, so obama actually in a sense was sitting in the other ticket with a former big player (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: hilarious so what happened post duke how did you end up at macaulay uh
2: well i i went back to woodward and taught and coached for four years uh and felt and I did a lot of work with the fellowship of Christian athletes at that time on a high school level I was involved with it at Duke I was president of FCA at Duke my senior year so I carried that over into my own coaching young coaching time and I felt a call of the ministry Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do in the future but I I wanted to go study the Bible and get involved in Christian ministry on a full-time level so I, I sought some advice and i ended up going to seminary got a master's divinity and coming out of that i went into church ministry just your i was a youth pastor and director of christian education then i became an adult uh, assistant pastor here in chattanooga actually at first presbyterian church under ben hayden who was here for a long time in the 70s 80s and 90s and i I worked for uh, under ben at first pres for 10 years and then i became a senior pastor at two different churches for a 12-year period of time. And so I had a 25-year run in a variety of positions in church ministry in America. And at the end of that 25-year run, it was only about four, about four years ago, uh, my wife had some health problems. She had had a brain tumor in 2001, breast cancer in 2005, and breast cancer again in 2014 and that year was a very difficult year for four surgeries and rehabs and being in the hospital and going through treatments and things and i felt the lord just lead me to to retire and concentrate on my wife and i did that and for a whole year a little more than a year i just spent time with my wife we traveled we healed we rested we went through all this medical stuff and it was at the near the end of that that a man who is very well known on the macaulay campus uh called me up and said jim i'm taking you out to lunch and i said uh great and his name is henry henniker and he's kind of a well-known person around here and henry drove to dalton georgia where i was um in a kind of a state of retirement and he drove down there and took me out to lunch and said what are you going to do with the rest of your life because i was in at that time uh mid to late 50s Mm -hmm. and I said I don't know Henry I don't know what the next chapter looks like and he looked at me and he said I'm going to call Lee Burns and I'm going to set up a lunch for the two of you I think you need to be at Macaulay and he did he called Lee Lee had lunch with me and over the course of the next year a position was carved out here I came uh, was chaplain of the middle school for a short period of time got involved with the golf program, the basketball program. My wife and I were beginning to be empty nesters. Our last child was going off to college and he's kinda of gone. We decided to go into the dorm. Wow. My wife was healed and she's a she is a people person and a kid lover. Uh, she's probably she's already in Belk Dorm, she's already baked probably ten thousand chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and so we have dove in into the deep end of the pool at Macaulay to spend the last part of a season of life of, of employment and ministry and mentoring here on the Macaulay campus. Well, that's awesome.
1: Uh, I'm really glad you ended up at Macaulay. And I have one final question for you. And that is, what is your final four prediction and who do you think <laughs> will win? I'm sure your bias will not show here.
2: Well, no, the, the bias has to show some, <laughs> but, but legitimately, if Zion does come back full speed, Mm-hmm And the team rallies back around him in a unified sense. Uh, I think Duke has an awesome shot to win it all. Uh, They have only lost one game this year when they were at full speed. Right. And it was against Gonzaga in Hawaii on the third day of a tournament at the beginning of the year when all those players were out there on the Hawaiian beaches. Right,
1: right, having just beat Auburn. Uh, one of my, my teams.
2: Right, right, right. So I have got to put Duke in the mix. So I'm going to put Duke – full speed, Duke is the team I think has a great shot to go through t- two great tournaments, ACC tournament, NCAA. If Zion doesn't come back, he's not full speed, they're discombobulated in that mm. sense. I think either Virginia or UNC – and I'm staying with the ACC simply because yeah. I know that they – have gone through rigorous schedules, and both of them are peaking right now. Mm-hmm. UNC looks as good as they've looked all year. Seriously. And Virginia is a unified juggernaut. Now, if they can keep the tempo, that's how they beat teams. They they control the tempo, they beat teams. They get out of the tempo, they get beat. But I'm going to stick with the ACC.
1: And are there any SEC teams that you're uh... – Consider, is Tennessee legit? Is Kentucky legit?
2: Well, they've both beaten each other up in their two home-and-home home games. I've watched Tennessee play three times this year, and all three times I saw them play, they played very well. Very, very well. Kentucky is up and down in kind of a moody sense. Mm-hmm. Um, they could certainly go deep, deep, deep into the tournament. Um I saw the game that when Grant had went 23 for 23 for Tennessee from the free throw line. Yeah, that was amazing. That was insane. Um, so yeah, they they are definitely of the top, you know there are eight teams that might could do it. Both Kentucky and Tennessee are doable. I haven't seen LSU play as much they they've obviously beaten some people right. I wouldn't might not put them in that top eight mix, um, but certainly Kentucky and Tennessee are there.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an exciting tournament. I'm really looking forward to it. And this is a great uh, talk. I really appreciate you coming
2: down here. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, Go Big Blue. Go Blue. (laughs)